Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to the Asia Tech Podcast. Today, we are joined by Gabriel Lopez, a co-founder and the chief technology officer of MedHive. Gabriel, thank you so much for coming on the show and for having like the 20-minute conversation we've already have and should have recorded. How are you doing, by the way? I'm doing good. Very hot here right now in the Philippines and very rainy, but pretty good so far. Wait a second, though. What is it? It's the end of May. So is it rainy season now in the Philippines? Because it's supposed to be rainy season right now in Thailand as well. It is, yeah? It is, yeah. It's very stormy, but it's still really humid. So you still feel the heat sticking to you and you're getting oh, wet yeah. by the rain. Yeah, it's so funny. I, I walk to the BTS, I would say, every other day, and it's like the least favorite part of my day. <laughs> I've got to like emotionally prepare myself for it and just say, okay, I'm going to go do it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I get, yeah. It's just so hot, but you know. It's really hot. But again, you grew up in Manila, yeah? Mm -hmm. So I grew up in Boston and in Connecticut. And when I was a kid, even when I was your age, I was still like shoveling snow. Yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> you prefer being in a hot country than... I'd much, if I never see snow again, it'll be too soon. Interesting. I, I've never been in like a snowy country or like stayed there for a long time, lived there. So I've never felt your pain of shoveling up snow. <laughs> I don't understand. My brother like has a ski house in Vermont and mm -hmm. I just don't understand it. I just <laughs> don't understand why anybody would want to put on all that gear. And ski. I don't know. Like if you like speed, why not get into a speedboat and go water skiing, which is super cool. All you need is a bathing suit, a rope, and a couple of skis. Whereas for like <laughs> snow skiing, you just need all this other gear. Or you, can just, or you can just ride a motorcycle on the on empty highways. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If all you want is speed. Yeah. Anyway, before we jump into the business part of this conversation, why don't you give us a little bit of your background for some context? Yeah. Sure. I'm so I'm Gab, the C, the current CTO and co-founder of MedHive. Uh, before MedHive, I was a actually a computer science student, and we were creating MedHive while we were studying. About okay. two or three years um, while we were building MedHive and everything, I eventually um, dropped out and started pursuing MedHive full-time. Uh, before that, I was really a guy super interested in tech. Um, I was joining like a hackathon every month, essentially. I okay. was consuming so much startup media, <laughs> like everything from the social network to the Silicon Valley TV show, reading all the different startup books from, you know, <laughs> from pretty much every startup founder I could get in the bookstore. Um, and so I've really been interested since a very, from a very young age and now I'm here. But why? Like, is your, I always ask this to people that are starting their own companies. Like, how old are you? Uh, 22. You're 22, right? So how did you first get interested in even the startup world, right? Was it through TechCrunch? Like, was your dad an entrepreneur? Was your sister starting her own company? Like, how did all this start for you? Because the, the computer science stuff I get, like, you're just a geek. I'm a geek. I get it. I've always been into computers. But the startup thing is kind of specific. Like, when did you get into it? Mm -hmm. uh, well, I think it kind of goes way back to um, when I was a kid. You know, I watched, like, Meet the Robinsons, and I was like, oh, innovators are cool. I want to be an inventor. I want to create things when I get older. Then I started telling my my parents and everything like, no, scientists get paid nothing. You don't want to be a scientist. <laughs> and I'm like, oh damn. <laughs> and then like maybe like five six years later, we had a uh, computer science class and I was really good at it. And so I took computer science in um, college. But at that point, I wasn't really interested in in startups yet, right? I was just interested in tech. I just yeah. wanted to code and write tech. But then I watched like the Social Network, 
Um, and then I realized how really impactful tech can be. Um, and, you know, like how some guy um, writing code in his bedroom um, could create a very innovative company. Um, and so at that point, I was really interested in really building a startup and creating something along the way. But the social network as a movie, right, or even yeah. as a story, was not the most positive story, right? Yeah. I mean, it was all about manipulation. And do you know what I mean? Yeah, I so, can. But, but it doesn't sound like that's what, where it impacted you because we haven't spoken about MedHive yet. We'll get to that in a second. But it's not called like manipulation hive, right? It <laughs> must have something to do with health and, and wellness and medicine. But d don't go there yet. I'm just curious, like, I get this idea of sitting in a dorm room somewhere. Like my generation had the same thing, right? Michael Dell started Dell Computer, or what's just called Dell now. Obviously in his dorm room as well, but that was hardware, but still became a billionaire, yeah? Mm -hmm. What was it for you that was so impactful about that movie? Was it just the idea of you could start something from nothing and then have impact? It was, um, well, you know, kind of... At that point, I was kind of like a young 17, 16, 17-year-old. I ignored all the other manip all the manipulations of all the crazy things like Eduardo Saverin getting screwed out of his money, right? Um, did he but, really get screwed? I mean, the dude's a billionaire as well. Like, did he yeah. really get screwed? Anyway, go ahead. Well, he, he sued them, and now he got the money, a lot of the money back. Fair enough. But, but he had to sue them. But, um, okay. but like at that point, it really was like those kids in like getting drunk in a dorm room or them moving to Palo Alto and then like, just getting wired into their code every day um, yeah. and then just creating um, and working and hustling at that time um, and building a company with just like five guys in a beach house, essentially, in Palo Alto. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. What kind of, what kind of coding got you interested? Like what languages were you writing in when you were a kid? Uh, so when I was a kid, I would pretty much not code at all. Like the most I did was like Roblox scripting, which is like a video oh, game. Okay. But I was not really that big into coding like, as a kid. But when I was around 16, 17, I was really interested in building websites and mobile apps. And to the point where I was already doing freelance work at like 17 um, cool. and creating websites and apps for people and also different companies and startups. Were you getting paid for that? Yes, I was. Yeah. Did you ever come home and tell your parents, like, I thought you said scientists and people that like math and science, like, don't get paid anymore? <laughs> no, I wasn't. I, I never got the, the balls to say that to them. <laughs> but tell me you didn't think that, though. I was thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. But so, if, and where did you go to university? Where did you go to school? I went to the University of the Philippines. So this is a great university in the Philippines, yeah? Yeah, pretty much a top one for the most part. Yeah, so this is the thing I always ask, right? Like, clearly, you're, you know, that comment from your father feels like a throwaway comment, right? Like, scientists don't get paid. But the reality is that as a parent, you know, they look at their kids and they think, okay, my kids are smart, but I want them to have this really good and comfortable life, mm -hmm. right? And part of the way to do that is just to go to school, get good grades, and then go find a good job or, or you know, do that kind of sort of traditional path. <laughs> and and you did well, right? You were your parents must have been super proud because they're like, okay, Gabriel's smart, so we at least we're, we're fortunate there. He got into the University of Philippines, so we can be proud of that too. Let's just get this kid out and into the world. But you dropped out, right? Mm -hmm. Did they think you were insane? So more than insane. In fact, it took many months of fighting over it before I can convince him to drop out. Right. Yeah. 
What does that mean, though? Many months of fighting. Uh, so like almost like every, pretty much at least once a week, this this it would come up. Um, I'd be like, Dad, I do want to drop out. I want to focus on med type. And he's like, No. How can you focus on changing the world if you can't even finish a college degree? Oh, um, right. Yeah. But did you bring up? But here's what's super fascinating to me. And and I love this idea, right? But like Zuckerberg dropped out, Gates dropped out. You know, but then again, Steve Ballmer didn't drop out, mm-hmm. right? So he still stayed and finished his Harvard thing and then still came out and still became a billionaire. Like, how do you, do you know what I mean? How do you balance all this stuff out and finally say, look, I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I know I'm only 20, but I really do. Like, I'm not a normal 20-year-old. I know what I'm doing. Let me do this thing. Mm-hmm. Well, for me, it really came to the point where I really couldn't, like I, I, I pretty much had to make a choice because um, it was previously before we were getting traction. You know, I could work at my own time. I could work at right. night. I could, you know, like um, work after school. But as we were getting more and more hospitals on board, you know, the the clients would set the meetings, and I had to visit clients um, at their hospital. <laughs> and then um, normally you can't tell your you can't tell your clients like, sorry, I've got to do CS two hundred four. Exactly right. So I can't make the meeting with the CEO of like <laughs> Hospital X, right? I couldn't. You know, I had to. I had to go there. <laughs> and there were so many. Like I think I've the, in my last semester where I finally fully dropped out. I missed like um, in two classes. I missed the finals, and right. in another one, I missed another like big exam. And so yeah. I pretty much just had no chance of passing those classes. <laughs> but you know, it was a tough decision at that point. You know, I remember actually. The thing that really like broke the camel's back, as I sort of say, with my dad, was one day like I came home, exceptionally drunk, um, and then I begged to him, Dad. Like I was on my knees and I started begging and crying, Dad. I really want to focus on MedHive. I really want to make a yeah. difference here. And then you know, he was scolding me, like saying, "How are you gonna? You know, you don't have a degree. How are you gonna change world if you don't have a degree?" And then eventually, like the next morning, I don't like the next morning, he came up to me and said, okay, if we really want to build like might have this so, so much, you know, you can do it. I'll let you, I'll let you drop out. And that, like I was able to sign in, like tender my dropout uh, form to UP. Good for you. What is, what does MedHive do? What's the idea? And you must have had it. Did you have it before you went to school, before you enrolled, or no? Or do you have this idea when you when you were in school? No, it was uh, in school. Like we were about sophomores before we uh, before we got the idea for MedHive. Um, so the idea really came. So what so what we are right now is we're a B two B medical marketplace for hospital sense um, and clinics. Hospital what? For ho- like we are B two B medical marketplace for hospitals and clinics. Oh, so, got it. Okay, go ahead. So we so we help these hospitals connect with large medical suppliers and distributors and importers. Um, and then we help them transact in a very easy and simple way. So, you know, the way we got this idea at first was actually from my co-founder, Nigel, um, and our other, my co-founder, L. So they have a long history, they're family friends, but both of them were very deeply ingrained in the medical industry. Um, Nigel himself was a, he, he was a, he owned two hospitals that they've been running for over 50 years with his family. So he did, his family owned them. He, how old is Nigel? Nigel's also maybe like 25 at this point. Okay, yeah. so he doesn't own yeah, the yeah. hospital. He does, okay, yeah. I just want to be clear. Yeah, his family he could have been an older it. person. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. 
you're right, you're right. No, it's his family who wants it. Um, Go ahead. And then, um, and so him and um, L, so they were speaking one day because L does these, like, handles these medical um, or med tech events in Singapore. So if she, if you've ever gone to a med tech event in Singapore, there's a good chance that she was the organizer uh, of that event itself. And so she was talking to a lot of these medical, you know, hospital managers, medical directors, medical supplies, CEOs, and everything, right? Um, and then she was talking with some Philippine execs, and they were saying that there needed to be something like a one-stop shop in the Philippines for medical supplies. Right. Then that idea was brought from, Albert at the idea to Nigel, and they started talking about it. And then, you know, uh, then, then Nigel went to me and said that, hey, I needed somebody to build this tech. So he approached me like it was, it was on the street in UP. He just ran across the street and said, hey, Gab, I have an idea for you. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, let's do it. Uh, and had you ever built anything like that before? Like it's so, when you look back now, it wasn't that long ago, I'm presuming. But when you look back now, like building, you know, people look at a CTO and they just think a guy or a gal that can write code. Mm-hmm. But part of computer science is learning about actual software architecture, right? And actually how to build things. It's more, it's not just like, here's PHP and here's how you write code or here's how you write in JavaScript. It's so much more complicated than that, right? It's like, here's the theory around how software is used to build products, which is very different, right? Mm-hmm. It's so very had you ever done that before? Yes. Well, so in, I mentioned earlier that I have done those freelance projects. So that's where I really right. learned a lot of that stuff. And okay. I was really getting annoyed at college because at around my first freshman and sophomore year, I was already like assisting um, seniors with their thesis. Um, I was pretty much like advanced studying things at home. So normally I'd go to school, then I'd go home and then study more of the advanced theory because that's what really interested me. Yeah. Um, and so that's because of that, I was able to like teach, like help these seniors with their theses. I was able to help them like understand what exactly they need to do to make things happen. Um, at that point I got really, really bored because like, you know, I needed a bigger challenge. Yeah. Um, and so the next step really after like, right, like understanding the theory, um, and then working for a couple companies already was really building my own company at that point. Do you think that this actually says something or shines a light on like something about the education system, not just in the Philippines, but the sort of undergraduate and frankly even the graduate education where you know somebody who is 19 or 18 or or 20 can come in and say I'm bored because I've already studied this stuff because I was already working on some of these projects before and frankly it's probably not just in the CS department but in other departments as well do you know what I mean yeah yeah um I mean well first of all like school really doesn't work well for people with like neurodivergence so like I have ADHD so uh, for somebody like me, you know, but it's like listening in class and then going with a strict curriculum of learning really didn't interest me. Um, and like from a very young, like from a very early age in school, I realized that um, I wasn't learning at the same speed as other people. Like I was learning at a much faster space. But the issue was if I, um, I would, I, if, I, I, if I didn't uh, introduce myself to the like later, uh, with later uh, studies or think, st- study more, I'd get so bored of the class that I wouldn't be able to like to listen in it. Right. Uh, so this, so I had this problem, right, where when I was in high school, in this one particular high school, I was so bored mm-hmm. 
that I almost failed an English class. And I remember the teacher, this was like in the 1980s, right? This was a long time ago. And I remember the teacher literally calling me in front of the class and she knew I wasn't stupid. But she, she called me in front of the class, I think just to embarrass me. And she was like, Michael, you know you're going to fail, right? <laughs> and there's no reason for you to fail. And I remember saying to her, you know, the books we're reading in this class I read two years ago. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I've already, like, what am I meant to do kind of thing? And anyway, go ahead. Yeah, no, exactly. That's the same thing with me. Like, um, there were uh, like there were, there were times where I'd be forced to study something I've already learned, um, right. and it it's so I don't know. It's it's, it's it feels so painful doing it to the okay. point where I could not bring myself to come to class, um, and I'd like I'd so I'd come to class late, or I would uh, <laughs> sometimes even just cut class, but then I'd go there for the exams, ace the exams, and, and then disappear. Nail them. Yeah. <laughs> And this yeah, let me let, let me tell you one more story, and then we'll get back to Medhive in a second, just because I think it's funny. Yeah. Particularly, in, it's even funnier in retrospect. You know, they were trying to teach us about the scientific method, right? So the scientific method would say, like, have a hypothesis, do an experiment, and come up with a conclusion. So the hypothesis was what you thought was true. The experiment was trying to prove it or disprove it. And the conclusion was what you learned. And they'd give us these really dumb experiments. And, and I remember the teacher would say, okay, well, the hypothesis, I understand you did the experiment. What did you learn? What's your conclusion? And I just remember saying, like, I already knew, like, I didn't learn anything because I knew this before <laughs> we started. And the teacher was so mad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I get that. <laughs> so mad. <laughs> it took some balls to say that, too. <laughs> I rem but I mean, I was a kid, right? I think I was 14 or something. And I remember thinking, like, if you don't already know that water, you know, is two part hydrogen and one part oxygen, like, you've got a problem. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, and I don't need to do this, like, stupid experiment to figure that out. Anyway, so there was no B2B marketplace in the Philippines for medical supplies. So hospitals were literally just like going, we need more bleach, we need more medicine, like whatever it was. It was much worse, I'd say. Um, <laughs> they, um, so I didn't even know fax machines still existed. But when we went to hospitals in the province, they were still faxing their purchase orders and their documents to the suppliers. Um, wow. And if they weren't faxing, they would be driving to the supplier to make their order. So this oh. could mean like if they're in a province, it could mean a four or five hour drive right. um, just to buy from your supplier and then drive four and five hours back. So would they, would, they bring the, would they bring the supplies back with them or they would have to then send a truck? Do you know what I mean? Or was that yeah. just to place the order? And I'm asking for a reason, but do you know what I mean? Or would they just like drive up there, place the order and then drive back and then the supplier would then send a truck down to the province with the stuff in it? Oh, no, they, they normally drive there with the truck. So they'd put like four nurses in a truck um, and then they'd go around the medical supply stores buying everything and putting it into their truck um, and then driving back. Got it. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so MedHive was meant obviously to solve this problem. Mm -hmm. Does uh, it feel like super obvious in retrospect? I mean, even today it feels super obvious, right? Just a B2B marketplace in a specific vertical market, no? Yeah. So it does seem really obvious, which is why it baffled me that nobody has really done it before. Then I started thinking more about like, what do people who want to solve problems in hospitals normally focus on? 
they normally focus on telemedicine um, or on, like, let's say, pharmacy delivery, for example, to patients or to EMRs yep. or to HIS systems. You know, just wait, tr- wait, what's, what's, what's EMR and HIS? EMR is an electronic medical record and HIS, HIS okay. is hospital information system. So these are got normally it, like it. the EMRs for tracking patients, whereas the it. HIS is like everything. Yeah. Um, but so that's what people would most build for these hospitals. Um, and nobody really ever focused on really improving the procurement side. I'm like, why? You know, they spent, uh, they would waste around $100,000 every year on procurement because of inefficient process. And yet nobody's really tapping into these problems. Yeah, it seems to me that it would be way more than $100,000, but okay. So then, like, tell me where you are. Like, what happened? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm curious about the sales cycle as well. Do you know what I mean? Like, you're just a bunch of kids, to be fair, right? I mean, you're 22. You said Nigel is 25. How old is Elle? Elle is um, much older. I think she's around 40. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <Much older>. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I love it. Don't be sorry for it. <laughs> I just realized how that could be seen as offensive. <laughs> to me. <laughs> so, um, but really with the supply chain and the sales process and everything, um, and we had to study a lot of that from the beginning. Like we had, we spent maybe a year or two really studying what these hospitals did, how they were doing them incorrectly. Uh, visiting like we visited maybe like 20, 30 hospitals across the Philippines um, and try to interview each one of them, asking them what were their process and everything because we were coming from, you know, a very, like we were both young. So we needed to learn these things from scratch. You were, but did everybody know Nigel's family? In other words, I don't yeah. know the hospitals that his family runs, but do you know what I mean? Like it, particularly like in, in Thailand, some of the wealthiest people in the country own the hospitals. Do you know what I mean? So it's not just like some small clinic. If you're owning a hospital, two, three, or four of them, like, do you know what I mean? You're very wealthy, yeah? So when he rocked up, like, they knew his dad or his grandfather or something like that, right? Or his mom or his grandmother, yeah? Mm -hmm. So So there was some credibility. Like, if you had just gone by yourself, they just would have been like, okay, who's this guy? Yeah, I'm pretty sure, yeah. And really having that kind of connection with the... The family really helped us get those in- interviews. But also right. what we did was we'd go there and tell them, hey, we're doing this for our thesis. Can you help us out with this? And because of that, they were able to like lay everything on us, give us like everything from like very deep secrets, company secrets into everything. And we were able to learn from that. But wait a second. So you didn't tell them that you were running a business. You told them that you were writing a thesis. Yes. Uh, and was that strategic because you figured they were more likely to give you information like ah, just a bunch of kids trying to learn something? Yes, uh, it was definitely it definitely pulled up, it was it was pulled off really well because they would give us such deep secrets because they thought we were doing our thesis, right? Like you'd want to help a student with their thesis, but would you want to help somebody who uh, is building a company? Maybe a bit less, right? Very tricky. <laughs> Very tricky. Um, so... You know, it was because we were able to get such deep looks into their hospital process, things yeah. they wouldn't normally tell anybody else. Um, what what surprised you? Do you know what I mean? Because you already had this like preconceived notion in your mind about what it was like. Yeah. What surprised me the most was um, in these hospitals, you'd expect that like people with MBAs or um, business ex- experts would be running the procurement team. 
like the procurement department, the per- the purchasing managers, or so on. Nah, go ahead. Yeah, but um, yeah. So apparently, they would just um pick a random doctor or every every year or so, and then he'd be managing the procurement team. Uh, he hated it, and he hated it, right? Like he hated. It. He's like, I didn't go to medical school to do this crap, kind of thing. Right, exactly. And they don't know, don't really know what to do. They're just kind of doing what the last person did. Yeah, and, it's like, why am I ordering these? throat lozenges when I should be operating on people. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. so they don't really well, they don't really care about it as much as, you know, somebody was really trained to do it and to improve on it. And that's really yeah. one of the reasons why these inefficient processes keep like going on for decades. Yeah, because nobody wants to do it, which means nobody wants to fix it, right? I mean, people want to fix it, but they don't take a vested interest in it. And they're like, six more months and I'm out of here. Let some other idiot figure it out kind yeah. of thing. That's exactly it, yeah. Right. But then how do you fix that? Because, like, I can already picture this in my mind, right? And you don't have to go so far as, like, having everything have a QR code or a barcode on it. But there's a way to automate this in a way that's actually kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, really, the long-term goal of MedHive is to be, like, a procurement assistant for a hospital. Um, so a procurement what? Assistant. Yeah, go ahead. So everything from helping you understand uh, when to buy a specific product, like um, understanding like trends of prices and everything, understanding when your inventory is going to run out, um, understanding what hospitals like you are buying and when they are buying them. Um, these are things that procurement managers should know, but doctors who become procurement managers don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And so that's something that we want to do through the platform I mean, that they can do without even thinking about it. So let me ask you this though, and let's take a one, let's take a, I don't know, like a one hospital system universe, right? So five hospitals, mm-hmm. and let's say they're ordering from 20 suppliers, right? So those, and those five hospitals are like, let's say in five different towns or in three parts of one city and two parts of another city, right? And they're ordering, you know, a large amount of whether it's equipment or literally even down to like the stuff that cleans the floors, right? Or the stuff that cleans the toilets, including you know, throat depressors and whatever. So medical equipment and just stuff to clean the hospital too. There's a lot of stuff going on, right? It's complex ordering. If everything sits like on, it's almost like a POS in a way, right? Mm. Although there are no external customers coming in and say, give me two hamburgers. It's the doctors going, we need more face masks, right? And we need more gowns. But on the flip side, if that's connecting directly to the suppliers, right? So instead of making a phone call, you just like press some buttons and an order just gets sent every month because it knows what the inventory is, right? It sees it drawing down. It says, we know it's July, so you're going to order 15 more of these. And it just sends an order out. Obviously, you're gathering all this data around not just what the hospital system's doing, but what each individual hospital is doing as well. And that's mm-hmm. pretty powerful in and of itself. But how about the other side? On the supplier right? side. In other words, the manufacturer that's making the gowns or the supplier as well. Are you installing technology there too so that that communication is just like almost hands-off in a way mm. and that that feeds into their manufacturing system too? Mm. So that's actually something we're working on right now. Um, we're really help, helping create... Um, you know what that, I mean though, right? Because you've got two sides to this thing. Yeah, yes. sorry, go ahead. Yeah, but no, you're right. Um, like something we're working on and really creating these dashboards of tools that these suppliers can use to kind of tell like how much masks should I be making or selling Right? Do we, are we seeing a shift in demand for the specific, specific category? Are we seeing changes in demand in different markets? For example, should I be selling to this region or that region? 
um, yeah. based on how much they're buying masks for or how much demand they have and really helping them create more uh, data-driven business solutions and business decisions into like how much they should be manufacturing or where should they be selling their products and when. Okay. But what's the sales like for you? In other words, how long have you been at this now? Uh, well, we launched around 2019. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Just before the pandemic. It's exactly. good, really great timing, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for your business, that's actually true. It's super great timing, right? Because nobody wants to get in a truck and drive to the supplier unless they're actually going to pick some stuff up. What is it like, though, again, now that you've kind of tricked them into giving you all this information by saying you're going to write your senior thesis or whatever, but now you're running a business. So you're going there with a bunch of technology to let, tell them, we've built this, we've, we want to solve this problem on the hospital side, on the procurement side, but we also want to go to the suppliers and solve the supplier problem on the distribution side, but also on the just-in-time manufacturing and all the Six Sigma stuff that they're trying to do. What is, what is the sales like when you, again, rock up as a kid and just go, okay, we have the solution? Or they're just like, okay, dude, just get out of here. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. No, I completely get that. Um, and, you know, later on, we had to hire more older-looking people to do that for. <laughs> but before, like, in our first, in our early days, right, we had to do it ourselves. Um, and with that, it was so difficult to get us, then take us seriously because we'd walk yeah. up there. Um, they'd be like, oh, I'm just doing some thesis project or something while you're pitching to us. Like I remember we would we, we would be in like the boardrooms of big brand name suppliers. Um and they just like laughed out of the room like is this a joke or something. Um, really? Yeah. Uh and you know eventually we came to the point like where we were able to let let the platform and the tech speak for itself. Um we would like because that kind of um, undermining of us, at, by the end of the meeting, we were able to flip it around and turn it into pure wonder, right? Like these people were able to build something like this. These kids were able to build something like this. That's crazy. Um, they're really solving a problem that I need. Um, and, right. you know, it's something that we had to kind of fight for it and work for it to really get and make that happen. And we had to hone our pitch to really make sure they knew that we were not kids joking around you were actually yeah, yeah, yeah. to be taken seriously but once that happened like what's that feeling like oh god i felt so ecstatic like i remember Nigel and i were in a car and we started like yelling like yeah uh, because we were able to close a big hospital to become a partner of medhive and it's it was an uphill battle but you know we were able to do it and how do you handle this on the branding and on the marketing side and again, I'll tell you why I ask, right? One of the big wins that Intel had, and I was talking to somebody about this a couple of days ago, right? Was they just, ha- they came up with this idea to just say Intel inside, mm-hmm. right? Or powered by Intel. Do you do that as well? So that when people walk into a hospital, you know, that says like procurement powered by MedHive or something so that it, you're creating this brand that people know. Mm-hmm. Current, it's something we're exploring right now, but what we've been doing more recently is really kind of giving uh, away a lot of these things like prescription and the prescription pads would be a medhive branded prescription pad or um these small th- medhive things scattered around the hospital just so there's like brand recognition of the company but right now you know that the medhive powered or something like that something we haven't really done yet but we're looking to explore soon you know what i mean because yeah. you could literally do you have, even have like a, a commercial or a billboard that says like, is your hospital powered by MedHive? Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Yeah. I've, I've never explored a billboard like that, but 
I'd be interested. Just, in, again, yeah. a billboard. Just yeah. I'm 56 years old, but <laughs> just any way where any place where people are looking, right? Mm -hmm. This hospital powered by Medhive would just people, even if it makes people wonder, like, what's that? Yeah, it's still building right? up because right. you know, you know this. Whether it's a small clinic or a big hospital to whom you have not yet spoken, there's a doctor in there who's going through the hassle of ordering stuff he's not interested in ordering. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a there's a a doctor somewhere and the and she's just saying to herself, why did I go to medical school for this? That's true. Yeah. That's true. Right? And they talk to their other doctor friends, right? So she gets on the phone with one of her doctor friends in another province and say, she says, have you heard of Medhive? And she's like, no, what's that? It sounds like a disease kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I've never heard of it. Are there bees in that hive? And then she's like, no, no, no. It's made our processes way more efficient. What are you doing up there? Yeah, it's actually like we've realized that really word of mouth is one of the strongest things right yeah. now in the medical industry. Um, so maybe it would be interesting to, to capitalize on that more with like um, creating more like med hive reps or something within our doctor community. And do you do these sales now remotely? Remember, we were talking before we started recording about like just the impact of how you can use technology to change literally to set off dopamine in people's heads and make them feel happy just about themselves. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, that then it helps create a better sales funnel for you. Like, mm -hmm. Think about it, right? You get on the phone with a doctor for a hospital that you want to sell to and you do this thing, right? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because we talked about this, right? Yeah. They're going to feel like it's this weird feeling of feeling like you're at home. That's true. Actually, that makes sense. That's interesting. Um, Previously, we've done mostly remote with cold calls and everything, uh, but really, it doesn't really work as well as visiting them. It yeah. doesn't because you can't do this, but once you build this like immersive online experience, right? This is why I told you, this is why we want to build these studios everywhere. This mm -hmm. is the exact reason why. Because then mm -hmm. when you cold call a hospital, you get a doctor on the phone who's already frustrated by like a bunch of sales calls and a bunch of people. He's already in the procurement business and doesn't want to be. Mm -hmm. And he gets on some dumb call, right, with somebody he doesn't know. And he looks up and he's like, wait a second, that's a picture of my thing. Interesting. And then he'll yeah. just be like, okay, I'll at least talk to you. Mm -hmm. And now the other thing that it proves, though, is that you understand the way technology works, but you also understand the thought process of just people. Mm -hmm. You should try it. Anyway. Yeah. Actually, we'll try to that as well, <laughs> I think that the this is the way that modern sales is going to work, right? That's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you because I wanted to understand how you did this, right? Mm -hmm. I'm also curious about, you know, you said when you closed that big hospital that you and Nigel were in the car, you kind of looked at each other. It's like a scene out of a movie and you were like, yeah. <laughs> but I'm curious about this too. The ups and downs of running your own company, right? There's like no fallback for you. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, you can't be like, oh, okay, I'll just go back to being a professional golfer. Like, there isn't that. Mm -hmm. This is what you've decided to do, right? And even though your parents and your dad, like, uh, is obviously very progressive. He's like, you know what? My son wants to do this. And instead of getting in his way, I'm going to stand underneath him and support him so he can do this. But now you have to do it in a way, right? Now yeah, you're now like, I, I can't fail this thing. We've put a lot into it, yeah. Yeah, but it's not just you, right? It's like you have, but your family's also just emotionally put a lot into it too, even if they haven't put any capital into it. They're like, because remember, we talked about this earlier. 
when you get into UP and your dad meets his buddies and your mom meets her friends, they're like, how's Gab doing? Oh, he's studying computer science at uh, the University of the Philippines. Mm -hmm. The implication is, what is your kid doing? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to like, grab a toss around the other day of having that. Right. But the other thing is, if you drop out, it's like, hey, you know what I mean? Because now there's a ton of pressure. It's like, how's Gab doing? I know he's not in school anymore. Mm -hmm. That's true. But what are the ups and downs like for you guys? Uh, really? Well, you know, I, th I feel like it's just a, thing that fathers get nowadays where like all their fathers or their parents will always be pressuring them to get a real job instead of yeah. being a founder right and that's something i've been um, getting a lot recently as well um but still still yeah now you know now now because now that i've been working with this for so long i've reached the point of now um, go back to school it's not anymore go back to school it's go get the real job type thing now uh, I'm, like, I'm like mom dad this is a real job you know this is what i want to do <laughs> i'm actually hiring people i'm giving I'm, other people real jobs that's true i'm, I'm the guy I, I make real jobs <laughs> <laughs> i don't need a job i'm making jobs anyway and um you know like you're right like uh we have uh very little to fall back on if my have fails and i do believe that makes some of the best entrepreneurs because there were so many that times um, where we should have really like everything was telling us to quit. Everything was telling us like every, like um in the beginning of the pandemic, you know, it seemed like it was all sunshine and roses for us. But it was actually a lot of struggle with really working with suppliers, working with the yeah. buyers because now everybody's angry, everybody's worried, everybody's scared. Stocks yeah. running out everywhere, and there were many points where like we were like weren't able to supply. To hospitals, even if we promised, and we lost a, a, a lot of key hospital partners on our platform. Um, and at that point, we were like, "Damn, should we just quit? Should we stop building Medhive?" Like, in like, uh, we had like a one, like we had a call with all the founders, uh, and then we we're like, "Should we just quit? Should we stop building Medhive?" And then we didn't know what to say. Um, then we all just went, like, went to bed and uh, thought about it. And the next morning, like, I. Got I called a meeting with all the all, all of me, Nigel and L, and I mentioned, hey guys, we can we can still make this happen, and I, and I outlined like a six month business plan on how we can regain these hospitals back, how right. we can um, you know how we can recoup our losses throughout this entire entire time and be able to really become and position ourselves as the medical marketplace to work with, yeah, um, and. That meeting really kind of went. It, everybody's um, energy went from despair to, you know, we had to fucking do this. Yeah. Right. Um, and then you know, you know, now we're here where we've raised our pre-seed round pre uh, like a couple months ago. How much money did you raise? We raised our four hundred thousand US. Awesome. Who did you raise it from? If, if you don't want to say who it is, just like what kind of investors is really more important to me. I don't care who it's from, to be fair. Well, we raised from two VCs, actually. Um, one is Pegasus Tech Ventures. And okay. the, are they in the Philippines or are they? They're international. Like they're, they're primarily US-based. We're actually their first Philippines investment. Good for uh, you. Yeah. And, and? and Foxmont Capital Partners, which is a Philippine-based VC. What's it called? Fox? Foxmont Capital Partners. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Maybe you can just send that to me so I can put a link to it. Um, sure. 
What does it feel like to raise that much money? And again, are you living at home? Yes, I am still, yeah. But so that, but it makes it really complicated, right? Because again, I don't know what the family structure is like, right? So I'm not going to make any presumptions, but whoever's like making the money that supports the family will come home after work traditionally, right? At the end of the day. And it's like, how was your day? Mm -hmm. If you have a full-time job, the key is just not to get fired. That's true. Right? It's like, okay, I didn't get fired today. We can eat this month kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah, you know what I mean, right? Yeah, I get. Yeah, but for you, it's different, right? Because you're you're still the child in the house, you know, where you were raised. Mm-hmm. But you don't have a job. You're like you said before, you're making jobs, and when you go through these times of despair, it's very different than like I'm a, I'm concerned I'm going to get fired. It's like when you build this company. Remember, it's just like you and Nigel and L. But they also have relationships and families and their families are putting pressure on them and their friends are thinking that they're crazy for starting their own company if they're married or if they've got boyfriends or girlfriends. You know what I mean? It's not just three people in isolation. And that when there's no one to lean on, right, unless your friends are also entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. That's right? Because they don't have a frame of reference for understanding it. Is that is that fair? Because when you have a job at a bank or whatever, you can just be like, oh, my boss is a jerk or my colleague stole my idea and everybody understands that. Mm-hmm. But, like, but if you come home and they say like, oh, we lost a hospital relationship or tell your girlfriend about it or, you know, or Nigel tell somebody about it or else, their non-entrepreneurial friends will just be like, you know, well, this idea was crazy from the beginning, right? I mean, you knew that mm-hmm. kind of thing. No? Yeah. They don't really understand like the ups and downs of it. Yeah. At all. At all. And I mean, that's something that, um, like I, 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 me and also a lot of founders struggle with, um, even when it's other so. founders, like there's still kind of a disconnect because of how differently a lot of businesses run. And so it's not like, you know, they don't have like a coworker or something that you can kind of talk to or something like that. Right. Yeah. Um, so there is that disconnect and now recently just been getting stuff by being stoic about everything and just like <laughs> eating it down. That, right, but that's why I asked you about that time. So you're in the car and you're like, yeah. Mm-hmm. But now if you sign a deal, it's more like, okay, see you tomorrow. Like next day, next client kind of thing. And even when you raise money, you're like, okay, we just raised $400,000. So we're not going to die soon. Mm-hmm. But in a way, it like minimizes the celebration, right? Because you still have to get stuff done. Yeah. Uh, I remember one... Uh, a tip that another founder told me like um was that whenever you race around you celebrate for like three days uh then after that don't think about it anymore get back to work you know yeah. you, you still have to have these moments of gratitude of celebration for sure and reflection i guess um bef- like because if, if you just like immediately go back to work you don't absorb any. You don't absorb any of that. You just you just get burnt out at the end of the next six months, yeah. Um, and then you become unproductive. And right, you know, there has to be these yeah, forced moments of gratuity, yeah, of yeah. celebration and just like a little bit of gratitude. You got to high five a little bit, right? Otherwise, what's the point? Right. Exactly. Um, is there anything else you want to cover? Or I think what we should do is we should stop because mm-hmm. it's been such a great conversation. I've learned a ton. I've had a great time. Hopefully you have as yeah, well. Yeah, I've had a great time. But it's early in the life of Medhive. Mm-hmm. I'd love to have Nigel on or Elle on or maybe like all three of you on together and just do like a roundtable in six months and just see where things stand. How does that sound? Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. 
Would just to it. get different perspectives, right? Because it's, I, it's always neat for me to see the interplay between the founders. And on any particular day, right? Like, like you said, there's all these ups and downs, right? And on any particular day, I don't know what's going to happen. Like someone's cat could have died kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully it didn't happen. I'm not saying that, I'm not suggesting that that should happen. No, you're right. Yeah. But that's always cool. Yeah, I would love that. That, that sounds amazing. Like uh, we, there are probably a lot of exciting things you can share in six months with Madhav as well. Yeah. Let's do that. Okay. Gabriel Lopez, a co-founder and the CTO, the Chief Technology Officer of MedHive. Thank you so much for doing that today. All right. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you so much um, for having me on your show.